Are we not finding enough oil on this energy edition of Industry Focus? Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly here with the one and only Taylor Muckerman. How are you today, sir? I don't know if I am, but I might be the one and only. It's an odd combination of names. You are the only one, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we are joining you here from full headquarters in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, and we are talking about oil, energy, and not finding enough, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds counterintuitive because everybody's talking about this glut right now. Oil's down 56% over the last year. That's right. And yet here you are sitting saying we... Uh, we're not going to have enough oil by the end of the decade. I'm not the only one saying that. I mean, OPEC is uh, coming out saying that, or not OPEC, there's, uh, everyone's saying that 2014 is the lowest new oil discoveries we've had in 20 years, four straight years of declines on that. And uh, I, you really have to look back to 2009, I think, because very similar to what's happening now, the price of oil collapsed from above $100, actually record prices in 2008 at about over 140 near 150 uh, per barrel. And people stopped investing, and I think we're paying for that now without finding these new oil discoveries. And so, maybe in five to ten more years, we'll be in a supply pinch, and uh, demand yeah. will actually be higher than supply again. What was it that uh, Saudi minister actually said? He was like, oh, yeah, if we don't invest now, we could be at $200 a barrel and all this stuff. And it sounds crazy, but we were at 140 in 2008, you know, mm -hmm. obviously before the financial crisis. Right. But you know, throwing a little uh, inflation adjustments, and then you know, throw the, you know, have demand higher than supply, and that doesn't sound that crazy. It doesn't. Uh, OPEC kind of confuses me. Saudi Arabia has had different people come out saying that we'll never see $100 oil again. Then you got people saying $200 oil is pretty uh, pretty likely if underinvestment takes place over the next few years. And judging by 2015 spending budget cuts. We're probably not going to find any new oil this year either. Right. So um, when I remember when this whole you know oil debacle started, you know, late last summer and everything, everybody's starting. Oh, is this the 1980s again? Mm -hmm. um, and I you know started just googled you know 1980s oversupply oil whatever, and um, I noticed weren't we like severely oversupplied when that happened? Like that was when the North Sea was coming online. Like I, my understanding is that we were twenty percent oversupplied back then, and right now we're two. Yeah, I, it's a very close margin right now. And um, you know, you look at demand from the from Asia Pacific. You look at demand from the Middle East, uh, Africa. It's it's rising pretty rapidly. U.S. and Europe have kind of countered that a little bit. But demand With efficiency has, standards, right? So. And people just using less. It, it was expensive for a while, so people cut back. Um, but yeah, we're looking at quite a big increase in demand, according to to OPEC, uh, by 2020, 2025. So if we don't get our act together and and start investing, we could see that price um, really spike. I don't think that we're going to need as much as they say we do, just because I've seen what's happening in America with. Um, fuel efficiency, solar power, wind power. People going uh, with fewer cars. Fewer cars. I haven't owned a car in three years. I know a lot of people in the in the cities don't own cars, and and the urbanization is taking place at a pretty rapid click. So I could foresee the U.S. still not having any increase in demand, but developing nations are following in our footsteps, and and. For a while there, our demand was through the roof year over year. So it's going to be a while until Asia and Africa start to cool off. But we're talking 10 more years, and that's just the cyclical nature of this business. Um, and if we continue to under underinvest, 
like they said, it could be in a world of hurt, but that's kind of good for investors if you're looking at oil. Um, I particularly don't like investing in oil producers, but if you are, still stick with the the people that have the biggest balance sheets, the safest balance the sheets. The ExxonMobil's, the Chevron. Right. I mean, you if you want to make a quick buck, you can probably invest in some more risky plays. But right now, I don't think is the time. I think you you want to watch that price curve really start to head north on a consistent basis. People thought in January, oh, the bottom's found. We're we're headed to the to the hundred dollar level again, and then it fell back into the forties in West Texas Intermediate, and so you see that it's not quite figured out yet. So, like you said. Uh, Exxon, Chevron, but even EOG, if you want to focus on the United States, the largest shale producer here, um, they've come out and said, we're focusing on returns now, we're not focusing on production in 2015, which is fine because they have the asset, the not the balance sheet assets, but the land assets to really kind of just stand pat. And then once oil hits 60 bucks, this is a company that could turn the faucets back on and keep prices right in their wheelhouse without letting it get high enough for a competition to start to creep in. It's actually funny you brought up EOG. I um, I did a deep dive on them a week or two ago, and I'm actually amazed at one how lucky this company was because they got the, all those uh, leases in southern Texas when Enron spun them off in mm-hmm. 1999. Hence yeah. EOG Enron Oil and Gas. But um, the CEO in that conference call late last year was like, uh, "Yeah, our internal returns at forty dollars oil is ten percent, mm-hmm. and at eighty bucks, it's a hundred percent." Yeah, it's, it, they kill it. Their efficiency is staggering. And it continues to drop, which is why which is why this company is one of the few oil producers that I would invest in as a strictly upstream play. Personally, I look at service providers um, right now or or infrastructure. Is that like the Baker Hughes's and the yeah Halliburton? I'm a I'm a shareholder in Halliburton. Um, that deal is going to close pretty soon. They've looked to start selling some assets in April uh, this month and to start the at least the fact finding missions a little bit. Probably have to sell around seven to ten billion um, of overlapping businesses for this deal to be approved. Shareholders have already approved it on the Halliburton side. I'm not quite sure about the Baker Hughes side. Um, I'm I'm in favor of it. They're still so, going to only be about half the size of Schlumberger, but the technology's there, uh, the the U.S. exposure's there, and right now we're really the only share player in the world, especially at these low prices. So, yeah, while it might be so, a year of of, of Reduce spending, you know, what we're talking about and demand in 2020, 2025. Watch out for these guys. Yeah. So, and you like these uh, uh, people that help find the oil because of this potential supply and demand mismatch mm-hmm. that, you know, five, 10 years out where it's getting harder and harder to find oil and we're going to have to pay for it. And these people are going to be the winners there. Well, when you look at um, finding oil, as, as, as we said, it's on a four year decline. So that's why you want to worry about the producers that. Have limited assets. Um, you want to let it's a golf term. You sit on the tee box. You want to yeah. let the big dog eat because these companies have the assets. They have the cash to go out and buy companies if they can't find it. Um, so uh, with the producers, discoveries are worrying me. But with uh, service providers and equipment providers, what we're seeing is enhanced oil recovery, new technologies emerging to stay in the same fields, but just using Halliburton's. Uh, 
or Schlumberger's technologies to force CO2 into these wells, to force water into these wells, um, or any other sort of water recycling to reduce costs. So um, they're developing these on their end and then selling this technology to the upstream producers to help them lower their costs because they need to because the oil is becoming more expensive to drill for if you can't find these new these conventional fields that you see out in the Middle East, which is why Saudi Arabia is able to produce oil at like less than $30 a barrel. Stick, uh, stick a straw in the sand and you've got a bunch of oil there. That's pretty much <laughs> what they've been doing for the last 50 to 75 years. We can't do that anymore in the United States. No. And actually, so what does see? President Obama is kind of in the process of okaying a bunch of Arctic drilling. Yeah, I think they did open up a little bit. Uh, is that the, where all the oil's left? I mean, is that where we are? <laughs> well, if you listen to Lisa Murkowski, the, the senator up there from Alaska, yeah, that's where all the U.S. oil is. Um, she's kind of irked at the the limited amount of federal land that, that is opening up um, because every citizen of Alaska or resident of Alaska gets a cut every year um, from the oil revenue that the what state... They, everybody gets like a couple thousand bucks. Yeah, it's a pretty meaningful deal. Um, Packing and so, my bags and yeah. moving to Alaska. <laughs> well, I don't know because they're... <laughs> They're starting to think about closing down one of the major pipelines up there because it has a has a throughput restriction. If they don't meet a certain amount of oil flowing through these pipelines, they just shut it down. They, they have to shut it down. Wow. Yeah, so um, they're worried about that happening in the next couple of years if more federal land isn't opened. Um, I hope not. I mean, I I, I pre- prefer to preserve the beauty of of uh, the United States. Maybe one day we'll need it, but right. our neighbors to the north have. A ton of oil in the oil sands that's not economical right now, but we have all the pipeline infrastructure to get it here. So yeah. I'm comfortable with waiting to see what happens. I'm not going to listen to one state do what they want. Yeah. yeah exactly. So bring it back around. Um, where's supply and demand globally right now? And then where is it going to be in about 10 years, supposedly? And well, then what do you think is actually going to happen? If you listen to all the, the people working for OPEC um, or even some of the more international oil experts 2025 could be uh, the correct year of supply and demand not like flipping the switch a little bit like you said it's a pretty tight race right now supply is a little bit higher than demand but underinvestment is the killer you these are yeah. these are projects that take a long time to come on board so you can't just with shale you can kind of flip a switch but offshore um, if you look at oil sands in Canada you can't just go out there and say hey we want to produce today Right. Shale is a lot quicker. You can drill and get production you, within um, a month or so. I keep reading how um, you know shale has been this huge revolution. Tons of jobs have come out of this since the Great Reset. All this stuff. Um, so all the jobs. Have all come the out. jobs. Yeah. yeah. If you look, if you and strip actually, away oil jobs, we've actually not recovered since. And, and they're they're all in Texas and the Dakotas too. <laughs> they're high paying though, so the money flows. Um, but uh, do you? Uh, I keep reading how uh, U.S. production might peak again in 2019 with shale, and then it's like. <laughs> Game over. Yeah, we, we've said Not that. Not game but, over, but, but like I said, enhanced oil recovery continues to develop. We're only using that in a handful of areas right now. So as we tech, could get better, and we better could and get better and better. better. Yeah. I mean, we're only extracting uh, less than fifty percent in most cases. Sometimes only twenty to thirty percent of the oil in these wells, um, with the possibility to extract a hundred. If if ever, I don't know if anybody's ever figured out how to extract a hundred percent of oil from a single well, but. That, that's still out there. So these right. oil wells are proven probable and potential. And um, as you start to work through those three P's of reserve classifications, you can really drive the reserve base higher. Um, it just depends on technology. And I'm, I have faith 
is what we've seen so far over the last decade or so in the United States that we'll figure it out. Yeah, if we need, there's to. no reason to doubt for exactly. sure. So uh, bring it back around, just you know, before we sign off here, what's the takeaway for our foolish listeners if they're to adjust their portfolio in any way? given this potential mismatch between supply and demand in the next five to ten years? Well, first, if you own oil companies, either producers or service companies, I wouldn't feel comfortable selling right now. Um, it, in my opinion, Selling at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. You are selling at the bottom of the well, in my opinion. Um, unless it's a company that just can't fund its debt, then might be a little worried. Maybe uh, sell a little bit of it and uh, and then... Buy some EOG or something. Chevron. <laughs> Buy safe right now. Don't take any risks unless you just have a you have a high risk potential and you know you say why not? This is just something I want to toy around with. But me personally, I'm buying the big dogs, like I said, in any sector. But personally, I only invest in the infrastructure and uh, so pipelines and and uh, processing plants, not refineries, but um, places that strip out the different natural gas liquids from natural gas or that store oil like a, like an Enbridge or a Spectra or something like that. Um, that's how I'm playing it because I think that it's going to rebound. As you read all of this, underinvestment is going to lead to demand being higher than supply, which generally leads to higher prices. It's, it's, cycl- it's cyclical. Prices were high in 2009. Prices were high in 2014. Since then, people spent a ton of money in those five years. Then all of a sudden, de- supply was outstripping demand. Prices collapsed. People stopped spending. When they stop spending, they stop producing. When they stop producing, demand gets higher than supply. And, and the just, dance starts all over exactly. again. Unbelievable. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Have a great day. And a special announcement to all of our listeners. For those of you that have questions for the energy edition of Industry Focus, you can now email us those questions at industryfocus at fool.com. And uh, that is it for us, Fools. Before we go, I wanted to make our listeners aware of a special offer available to all industry-focused listeners for a subscription to the Motley Fool's top-performing Stock Advisor newsletter. Head over to focus.fool.com to learn more about the special offer. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell stocks just based solely on what you hear on this program. For Taylor Markerman, I'm Sean O'Reilly. That's it for us, Fools. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!